The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Museum Life with Carol Bossert. Museums are important whether we work in them, for them, or simply love visiting them. Throughout history, people have collected things and put them on display to enjoy. But today's museums offer much more than rooms filled with stuff. They provide places to learn and share experiences with family and friends, as well as sanctuaries to unplug, rest, and refresh. On today's show, we'll discuss how museums can remain relevant and sustainable, reach out to new audiences, and remain attuned to cultural and technological trends. Now, here's your host, Carol Bossert. Good morning. Welcome to Museum Life. Uh, This is Carol Bossert, and we have a great show lined up for you today. Uh, On this program, we talk a lot about the theory of museum practice. We talk about the theory of museum leadership and, and whether or not we can teach museum leadership. We talk about the theory of uh, working with our communities and understanding who our audiences are. And so it is a real pleasure to have an opportunity to focus a show on not the theory, but the real practice and the wonderful practice of a uh, practice of a great museum uh, with a, under great leadership who is really doing all of the things that that uh, we always talk about in this show and also you know with our colleagues all the time about what should be done so it is my pleasure to spend an hour with Julie Decker who is the director and CEO of the Anchorage Museum at the Rasmussen Center, which is Alaska's premier art, history, science, and cultural institution. Some of you know that the museum recently completed a significant expansion, and I'll say this that this expansion really just follows on the heels of a number of expansions and uh, uh, new new materials that that have uh, really show how the community is uh, so so responsive and supportive of this institution. And I'm not going to go into a lot uh, more detail at this point because I really want Julie to tell uh, tell the story in her own words. Uh, so Julie, welcome so much uh, to the program. It's a real pleasure to have gotten to know you a little bit before the show, and I'm really looking forward to this conversation today. Thank you. Good morning. Thanks for having me on. And I will mention, too, that, as you know, Julie is in Alaska, so it's really early for her. So, (laughs) Julie, thank you very much for uh, uh, setting your alarm clock early and joining us today live on the program. So, Julie, uh, 
to help uh, ground the show and our conversation a little bit today, could you just share with our audience your career trajectory and especially uh, highlight those experiences that have shaped your philosophy of what museums need to be and what museum leadership uh, needs to be? Sure. I suppose, like most Alaskans, I have a fairly unorthodox path to the museum. Um, I was a college student at the University of Oregon that I grew up in Alaska and um, was looking for an internship possibility um, prior to graduate school um, and called my home museum to see what the possibilities were. Um, they invited me there and, like many small institutions, um, offer you uh, pretty much a blank slate for anything you want to do, and I ended up uh, working with them to run a contemporary art exhibition program for families. Uh, and I think it was then, though I didn't realize it, that my museum career was born. Um, I went back and got a master's degree in arts administration um, and eventually my doctorate in contemporary art history and I suppose accidentally wandered back to Alaska um, and was running some contemporary art centers, working as a consultant, um, but always going back to the Anchorage Museum, working as a art carrier for them, often on contract, and um, became the chief, chief curator about five years ago and the director um, almost exactly a year ago. So um, I think what I learned prior to being embedded there was um, a pretty community-driven perspective. Um, What I was doing for art centers was um, trying to grow those smaller institutions into places that um, did some fairly large risk-taking projects to um, break out of the bricks and mortar and to really bring community together in a new way. That uh, that's a, a perfect platform uh, to uh, to build upon our, our discussion, and uh, I I do love to say that uh, sometimes on the show we have people, uh, and perhaps with my encouragement that malign um, I think uh, uh, people who have expertise in curation who then uh, take upon leadership roles as directors and sometimes uh, maybe don't have the background. But I would just like to say that. Uh, Julie, you you break that mold, and from now on, I will never allow a guest to malign a curator who has become a museum <laughs> director because you 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 have an exemplary trajectory. Uh, I. I must admit that I have never had the opportunity to go to Alaska. I hope to remedy that in the coming years. And I think on, it's very unfortunate here in the uh, the, the lower 49, uh, 48, that much of what many of us know about Alaska come through those uh, reality shows that have truckers driving across ice or people hunting bears out in the woods. And, and I, I think we have a very uh, stilted attitude and, and understanding of Alaska so I think that it would be very, very helpful if you could help us all understand uh, the Alaska that you know and then the Anchorage Museum within that that context of environment and community. 
Um, I think there are a lot of myths about Alaska, and the world is probably made up of more myth holders than people that truly know and have experienced the North. Um, but we think that's a wonderful thing, uh, partly because what that creates is an incredible curiosity about the North, uh, and it's a place that people dream of coming to and going to, and some people see it as their trip of a lifetime when they make it to Alaska. Um, so we treasure that idea at the same time that we know that at a time when um, there's incredible curiosity heightened by global change and climate change and incredible curiosity um, around our environment and this idea that maybe there's not much wilderness <clears throat> or remote land left, that Alaska has a very special place. And I think while reality television presents uh, a limited view, um, I think all those things are true at once, that... Yes, the North is a place for, um, still a place for people to explore, still a place where um, you can be by yourself and there's not another person around for miles. Um, it's a place of extremes, um, but at the same time, it's an incredibly connected place. It can be an urban place, it can be a rural, rural place, but it's, it's a pivotal place at a pivotal time. And it's not an uninhabited, it's not a white, colorless um, wilderness. It's a place that's been populated by people for centuries. It's a place where the people are incredibly capable of managing their future and adapting to change. It's a place where um, we're not disconnected from global issues. Instead, we're ground zero for many of the global issues, and we're not less interested in those issues than people in the lower 48 and beyond. Um, instead, what I think the museum is interested in doing and being is providing that authentic voice for the North that talks about the North and all its complexity. Um, but that also empowers the voice of the North so that as these discussions take place about what happens in the global Arctic, we know that Alaska is the only part of the U.S. that has Arctic territory, and that makes Alaska pretty critical right now. And we know that it's part of our job to, um, to offer to the world um, what Alaska is, what that means in a northern context, what that means in an Arctic context, um, and that if we don't present it in all its rich complexity that we are doing, um, Alaska, but also I think it's fair to say the globe a disservice because um, what happens here is going to affect what happens in a, in a lot of places, if not everywhere. Uh, that... That really, that's very, very helpful, and I'm struck by uh, the term you use that, that uh, you really feel, uh, your community feels that you are ground zero in, uh, in the issues of, of climate change, the, uh, that it's not something that's, I'm assuming what you're meaning is that, that uh, climate change is not something that is abstract uh, and as it is to many of us here, uh, as you say, in the lower 48, uh, but that you're seeing the real day-to-day uh, -day impacts of, of these changes. Am I, as, is, that, uh, is that what you meant? It is. I think in other places it, 
and and maybe an abstract notion of how things might change or if we don't do something, here's what could happen. Um, but in Alaska, particularly in coastal and rural communities, this is um, it's been happening for a long time. There's visual evidence of it. In some cases, extreme visual evidence in terms of um, coastal communities washing away due to coastal erosion in case of um, a land phenomenon called pingos that are turning some tundra services into the moon um, because methane gas is being released to um, changes in subsistence and the way people are gathering food because the animal patterns are different between um, polar bears losing their sea ice between 50,000 walrus gathering on the shores because they don't have their sea ice. Um, it's it's stunning um, visual change, and I think Alaska captures that in a way that almost no other place does. Uh, wow! Uh, yes, I I can. Uh, I'm I'm just uh, stopped actually by by some of those those visuals that that you probably do see on on you see on a regular basis that would change the 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 uh the tenor of the community i i would think and i can see why it is is considered you you know a, a critical issue uh could you tell us just a little bit more about the makeup of the community i mean we've you've talked a little bit about some of the uh uh uh, tendencies of of the people that live there, but uh, it is then, as you say, you know, a sort of a rural and an and an urban community. But but what is you know what are the what's the makeup of of people? So Anchorage is a is an urban place. It's um, like many other places. If you came to Anchorage, you would of course notice the weather and the mountains and the water. But um, I think living in the place, it it feels connected. It feels like a lot of uh, mid-sized urban cities that you might experience in other places. But beyond Anchorage, even ten minutes beyond Anchorage, you are in. Um, you're in a postcard. It's incredibly beautiful. It's um, incredibly inaccessible in many ways. Um, there are glaciers 20 minutes from the city that are receding. Um, and then further beyond Anchorage, well, there are other population centers, um, such as Fairbanks in the middle of the state and our small city of Juneau, um, in southeastern Alaska, the rest of the state is um, accessible by airplane. We have an extremely limited road system. Um, these are rural communities that um, have to be, in many ways, self-sustainable. Um, while goods can be flown in, um, the logistics of building infrastructure are wildly complex and expensive, um, and I think we have a uh, important voice in terms of our indigenous populations, and our indigenous um, population is also quite complex, made up of not just one culture, but many, many languages, some which are flourishing, some which are disappearing, um, and then within the urban populations, incredibly diverse. There are a hundred languages spoken in the Anchorage School District. And so I think almost any stereotype or any blanket statement you make about Alaska is going to be false in some way. 
Um, and I use the word complexity, but I think um, because of Alaska's urban and rural divides, because of the languages, because of the influx of population, because of our place as really a byway between um, the Pacific Rim and the rest of the U.S., between uh, our proximity to Russia, our proximity to Canada, our global connections through the circumpolar north um, make us a, a much more diverse place than people imagine it to be. I, I uh, thank you for sharing all of that. I, I, I had only assumed some of that, uh, but I am getting a much better picture of, you're painting a wonderful picture of a, a truly diverse area as you would expect in any kind of urban area, but this is also, uh, has all of the nuances of, of the urban and the rural and, and the uh, you know, just uh, complete wilderness. So I, I'm sure that it is, uh, it, it uh, the museum reflects that, and of course, it's reflected in the museum, and the uh, the museum reflects it back. Uh, can you tell us just a little bit about the history of the museum, how it came to be? I mean, we're going to uh, after our break. I think we'll talk a little bit more about uh, the expansion projects, uh, particularly the one that that you've just completed. But but uh, who uh, how uh, how did the museum initially come about? So the museum began as a tiny little building in 1968. It was a public-private partnership. Um, There was a mayor, Elmer Rasmussen, at the time, who was a city leader and visionary who um, had originally come from the East Coast and had the belief that any good city needed a, a museum. And we thank him to this day for having that vision, um, invested in it personally, um, and the museum opened with a borrowed exhibition, borrowed objects. Um, there was a historical society, the Cook Inlet Historical Society, which still exists today, that loaned objects to the museum, um, And but it quickly grew. Uh, along with the city, along with the influx of oil dollars, the museum continually expanded. I don't know that it's seen a decade without some form of expansion. Um, and I think with that grew community interest, community ownership in the museum, and its first iteration as a community center was um, a place where families came to learn the history of Alaska, school children came as part of their curriculum, but people also got married there, proms were held there. Um, it was in the beautiful way of a small town the city's facility for gathering and for expressing community. And I think that gave the museum the most incredible grounding for the community embracing what a museum is to the city. And I don't, I think that's one of our greatest responsibilities moving forward is understanding that we start with an incredible community ownership of this place and we have a great responsibility um, to uphold that and the expectations. Well, that uh, thank you for sharing that, and I I think you're right. Uh, that is a theme that runs through a lot of our our discussions. That uh, community involvement, but more than community involvement in the museum, uh, the museum's community, museum's involvement in the community. That that it they are part of a. Uh, 
a full network that one uh, would never dream of existing without the other. Uh, And that does, I think, ground you very, very well. We are going to take a very short break. And when we come back, uh, I... I'm going to ask Julie to share with us uh, some of the exciting things that have occurred in this most recent expansion. Uh, So uh, stay tuned. Uh, Remember, you're listening to Museum Life, and this is Carol Bossert. Uh, You can always uh, reach me by uh, email, carol.bossert at verizon.net, or through Twitter, uh, at MuseWrite, hashtag museum underscore life. So we will be back in a moment. Stay tuned. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. Conservation starts with us. Learn about environmental concerns each week when you tune in to Our Wild World with host Ellie Weiss. Our show centers on Africa each week and what's being done to save our wildlife, ecology, and ourselves. However, we'll also discuss what's going on closer to home. And most importantly, we'll let you know what can be done in our own backyards by featuring guest experts and featuring your questions and answers. Listen every Monday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Make our world a better place, but not sure where to start? Tune into Better Worldians Radio with the creators of the social game on Facebook called A Better World. Join hosts Ray, Mary Sue, and Gregory Hansel, who will inspire you to make a big difference in small ways. They'll speak to experts, authors, volunteers, and everyday people who are changing the world daily. Better Worldians Radio is heard live every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Variety. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus, topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. You're tuned into Museum Life with Carol Bossert. To reach our program today, please call 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. Or send an email to carol.bossert at verizon.net. Now, back to Museum Life. Welcome back. This is Carol Bossert, and I am uh, in a great discussion with Julie Decker, the uh, director and CEO of the Anchorage uh, Museum at the Rasmussen Center. And Julie, uh, I right before break, you really uh, gave 
painted a wonderful picture of the of what Alaska is like and uh, and what it's not, uh, and how the myths are sometimes so very pervasive. And during break, uh, you know, I thought you made a very good point uh, that that I wanted to underscore, which is you could have taken that uh, you know some of the the mythology and some of the negative uh, thoughts about Alaska. You could have taken that as a as a negative, uh, but you've looked at it as a positive, something that that can can work with you uh, to to change uh, change these perceptions and to celebrate uh, the the diversity and complexities of the community uh, that in which you you uh, live. So tell us about this most recent uh, renovation. It uh, uh, just from looking at your website and, and our discussions, it is seems to be the largest uh, renovation that you have undertaken. Is that correct? That is correct. Uh, about five years ago, we undertook a major construction. Um, project and turned the museum into a facility double its original size. Um, it had last expanded um, at that scale in the 1980s um, as part of a program called Project 80s um, in Alaska that really took advantage of the influx of money from the oil industry and the pipeline that were coming in and created a new, new infrastructure for Alaska. Um, but the imp- impetus for the most recent expansion was... Um, that our senator from Alaska at the time, um, Ted Stevens, had gone to the Smithsonian in um, the 1990s and had seen the depth of Alaska collections at the Smithsonian that were not on display. Um, As with many museums, most of the objects are behind the scenes. Um, And so he saw drawer after drawer after drawer of Alaskan artifacts made by Alaska Native people, and he said um, these should come home. And um, that began a conversation with the Anchorage Museum and the Smithsonian Museum of Natural History and the Smithsonian Museum of the American Indian, which was about how do we um, bring the objects to Alaska to be shared with people of Alaska, visitors to Alaska, but also the cultures that created and made those objects, um, to which these were um, incredibly important and incredibly meaningful um, things. Things is a terrible word. These are objects that were used by people of cultures and were objects of celebration and objects of tradition and objects of spirituality. Um, So... As part of the expansion, we opened the Arctic Study Center, which is a, our long-term project with the Smithsonian, and um, we have 600 objects on long-term display that cover um, the distinct cultures, native cultures of Alaska, indigenous cultures. Um, and I think that's an incredible gem that we hold in Alaska, which is um, beyond most affiliate uh, programs with the Smithsonian. It really is a commitment to um, to give objects life again. And um, so, with that, we uh, designed an exhibition uh, gallery that has cases that open, um, not to the general public, but to um, to researchers, to scholars, to Native elders, to Native youth to um, conservators, uh, and these are people from around the world who come or people from communities who um, want to use these objects to start conversations about how are these used, how are these still meaningful to culture, 
Um, we invite young Native curators to come in and talk about the objects, use objects in the museum's collection to curate exhibitions, um, or just to come and spend time with the objects and discover uh, them sometimes for the first time, look at how they were made, um, and and talk. And we have um, had incredible conversations around this installation and these objects being uh, back home. Uh, but at the same time, the museum also expanded its mission. We added science to our mission. Um, we have a 10,000-square-foot hands-on science discovery center as part of the museum, and that's where we explore um, science concepts, but in a in a northern context. So uh, we talk about tsunamis. We talk about earthquakes. We talk about how mountains are formed. We talk about uh, the aurora borealis um, or the northern lights. And um, uh, we talk about what it means to live in this northern place through art history, science, culture, and we think instead of leaving those in boxes, um, we think it's much more compelling to tell a northern narrative and to tell stories. And we know that disciplines are are interconnected. And um, in moving forward, we think um, what we are is a museum of... Uh, that has a responsibility to present this authentic voice of the North. And to do that, we need to tell the stories of the people who encounter it and the people who reside here. Um, So the expansion has allowed us um, the infrastructure, the space to think big, to be ambitious. We have um, another 10,000 square feet of changing gallery space. um, And we have an incredibly ambitious, incredibly dynamic, changing exhibition program. We um, do 15 to 20 changing exhibitions per year that we curate in-house and then travel around the country or that um, we bring in from outside and then um, interpret through a, a local or a northern lens and say, what does this mean here? And um, how do we as a community respond to it? Uh, that is in truly incredibly uh, ambitious. And what uh, what... What strikes me as so very exciting is when you uh, talk about objects being the points of conversation uh, among uh, various people and and uh, from from uh, who you who typically look at uh, at anything through a variety of lenses. I think sometimes we don't uh, give enough credit uh, for the variety of, of lenses. I mean, many uh, museums who do interpret in uh, uh, material culture from indigenous uh, communities do try to uh, or should include the indigenous voice but I I sometimes find that those exhibitions become sort of polarizing they say well this is you know here's the object and this is what uh, one lens think is meaningful and here's the way that you know Western scientists or art historians or, or trained academics look at this object. And so I'm wondering, how did you ever feel that kind of tension? Or is it just be, uh, due to the way uh, that you've always approached things, is that just a non-issue? It's just a natural way of, of, of uh, talking about the objects. I think it's a combination of both, but I certainly felt that tension, observed that tension. Um, The idea that 
these are objects of a distant and past culture is one that's um, not accurate. These are objects that relate to living cultures that are incredibly contemporary, dynamic, um, complex cultures that um, shape Alaska today. These are um, objects that mean something to living people, to families, to um, indigenous artists, to sculptors, to... Um, to an incredibly rich and diverse community. And so I think philosophically I shifted from thinking about these in terms of curating objects to the idea of curating conversations. And I think the way that these objects find meaning in our contemporary world is if we use them to stimulate conversation and dialogue. And I think we're not, we are facilitators, and it's not always our job to interpret the meaning of of these objects to culture, and instead, um, we should be learners. We should be listeners. We should um, know that really our greatest role should be inviting people to the museum or bringing these objects outside the museum, whether that's digitally or um, through education or by traveling the objects through exhibitions that. Um, we need to be much more conscious of who do we bring to the table to have a conversation around that object and and literally sometimes bringing the objects out of its display case in a way that um, museums don't often do. We're not trained to bring objects out, um, and we do so in a way that has tremendous care for the object and does not put the object at risk. And um, I could describe our infrastructure that allows us to do that, but um, I think our job in a contemporary culture is really to curate conversations. And um, we have a lot of programs with the Smithsonian um, and others um, and indigenous communities that say, you tell us um, how can how can we provide access so that these have meanings, not how can we provide a layer of interpretation that is really the traditional curatorial role of um, implying meaning that um, that we derive. Uh- I, I love that phrase, uh, curating conversations uh, instead of uh, curating interpretation. I, I'm wondering uh, if we could dig just a little deeper in, into that, uh, particularly if you could share with, uh, with us sort of the, the maybe a little bit more of the nuts and bolts of the, of the how-to. And I'm particularly struck with, um, uh, with your approach, which seems you know quite logical and appropriate given your your community and how you've described it, but of course recently uh, there have been articles uh, written in the Washington Post and 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 others, and it's very public that the uh, American Museum of the of the uh, American Indian. Uh, ha- is deciding to change their uh, their their uh, exhibition approach and creating much more of a a strong narrative, what I would call a stronger interpretation uh, that welcomes uh, or or is uh, makes it a little more accessible for uh, non um, non indigenous people to to understand the materials and I. Uh, 
I find that very interesting. That sort of that 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 shift away uh, in a, in a different direction. And I'm wondering, did you know what your conversations were with with your uh, both your staff and as uh, your advisors and and your community? Uh, how how did you know how were you able to actually achieve this this wonderful outcome? I think uh, our advantage was that it was um, a goal from the very start of bringing the objects home to Alaska was um, if the idea is that you're bringing these objects here for the community to um, encounter them, how can you really embody that in an exhibition where everything's um, at low light levels, where things are behind glass, where... um, there is a need to care for these objects into perpetuity. And we worked with um, a number of international consultants to design an exhibition system where the objects are an armor- on an armature that is removable, that the objects don't move, but the armature does. And then we have special carts that are designed so that um, when these cases open up, the armature with the objects on it can be removed put on a cart that is stable, um, rolled into a community consultation room. Um, conservators are there at all times um, guiding the interaction with the object. These are not still not touched or interacted with in a way that disturbs or um, destabilizes the object, but what it does is provide a very personal encounter. Um, and then beyond that, we have um, worked with indigenous populations and other local artists to say, an international artist to say, um, if you come to Alaska and you engage with the museum on a project, then what we feel an obligation to do is provide you with um, the true narrative of Alaska as much as we can so that whatever statements are made, um, uh, especially when people return to the South or leave Alaska, are, are grounded in a, a deeper understanding of, of this place and the people. And so um, we place artists in our permanent galleries to um, make do temporary performance pieces or installations that comment upon um, indigenous narratives, indigenous conflict, contemporary issues. Um, We know that the static nature of museums and permanent, well, in quotes, permanent exhibitions is problematic. Language changes, um, issues revolve um, and evolve, and um, if we don't prompt conversations or make it clear that we're open to conversation and that we know that there are mistakes in museum exhibitions as they live on um, decades or more, and that to call those out is much healthier than to pretend that they're not there. Um, We have a program that we started um, with the Smithsonian where we talk about materials, and we will choose a material like porcupine quills or gut or um, some other traditional material that was used to make clothing or baskets or um, other utilitarian objects, and we will gather um, indigenous artists, um, elders, emerging artists, um, conservators from around the state and around the country, uh, scholars, storytellers, and we run week-long programs um, where we uh, where we have people present 
how were these materials used, how were these objects originally made, but then expanded into contemporary making and um, teach the skills, offer the skills, offer the information for emerging artists to then go and incorporate that into much more contemporary um, statements, much more contemporary pieces. Uh, we have one artist who's working with us now. Her name is Allison Warden, Warden and she's Inupiaq and um, from northern Alaska originally. And she discovered pieces in the museum's collection that were made by her aunt, made by her grandmother. And um, there's a moment where you just realize the personal connections of these pieces are much more powerful, much more compelling beyond anything that um, we might understand if we didn't provide this access. So we think it's our privilege to provide and to experience um, those personal connections that people make when we invite them back of house. But Allison is um, exploring native whaling suits, um, clothing, uh, traditional housing from her culture, and she is planning a major exhibition at the museum in 2016 where she recreates these out of contemporary plastics, um, garbage ties, um, and other things. And so as she recreates these, she'll recreate them in public museum space and talk to people, whether they're from um, Iowa or Germany or wherever they might come from the museum, um, She'll be in a public space and um, talking about and demonstrating that this is a living culture and um, this is a an action, I call it an action or an intervention that um, she wanted because she thinks dialogue is incredibly important to... Um, to shedding old stereotypes. Um, and so as she recreates this native whaling suit out of garbage ties, <laughs> she can talk about what in tradition inspired her, but also um, uh, get rid of the idea that um, these are cultures long gone. That's uh, that. That's so inspiring, uh, Julie. I could uh, listen to you all day, uh, but right now I'm going to take our second break. Uh, and when we return, more with Julie Decker. So please stay tuned. This is Carol Bossert with Museum Life. Uh, we'll be back in a moment. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Think of the world 50 years ago. Now think of this same world and how it will be 50 years from now. Did you know that if the world's population continues to grow at its current rate, our children and grandchildren will only have 25% of the resources per capita that our parents and grandparents had? We must preserve the foundation of a quality standard of living. That foundation starts with Go Green Radio. Join your host, Jill Buck, for Go Green Radio every Friday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific on Voice America. What if there was a radio show that could demonstrate how we can cut your taxes in half without diminishing needed government services? One that could explain how to create tens of millions of jobs at no cost to taxpayers, as well as fantastic yet easily affordable health care. Side effects include cutting crime rates nationwide, providing better education for our children, international peace and harmony, 
and protecting your private, personal data from government intrusion. Tune in to Libertarians Working For You with Arvind Vora, weekdays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific, on Voice America Variety. Tired of lackluster results with your marketing? Craving more leads in your business? Tune in to the Mojo Marketing Edge with the team behind Mojo Global Marketing, Ira Rosen and Corey Michael Sanchez. Winners of the Marketer of the Year, they will show you how to generate daily leads, build databases of raving fans, and close deals faster than ever before. See what's hot right now and how you can tap into it to generate an endless supply of customers and clients. The Mojo Marketing Edge can be heard every Monday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You're tuned into Museum Life with Carol Bosser. To reach our program today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to carol.bosser at verizon.net. Now, back to Museum Life. Welcome back. Uh, this is Carol Bossard, and uh, we are talking today with Julie Decker, uh, Director and CEO of the Anchorage Museum at the Rasmussen Center. And Julie, well, uh, when we went to break, uh, I had to say that listening to you talk about how these these projects have come about and and then all of the the wonderful things that are happening because the museum is bringing all these people together it, as you des- describe it it sounds so inspirational and and almost obvious and so easy and it can't have been easy uh it it uh, to me, it belies a lot of work on your part and probably the work of your board uh, to make sure that these uh, that that these relationships could could happen. I think from the very beginning, the museum has placed great value on understanding its role in place and um, place is meaningless without the people that live in it and uh, I think relationship building started occurring um, from day one and that the museum's always held it as one of its greatest responsibilities and I think um, that only grows stronger. We build on those relationships with um, our indigenous populations in Alaska we build on relationships in the community. We um, establish partnerships like our partnership with the Smithsonian and others. Uh, and it takes time and it takes commitment. And um, But without that, um, I think we would see our position in the world and our place in the world as a disadvantage that we um, and I think for a long time we struggled with our identity as a museum. Are we um, saying us to us to and trying to focus on bringing everything that you might see in other places to Alaska so that people could experience them and while I think that's important um, I think we have a greater role to play in understanding that where we are in the world is our most distinct advantage and um, and 
that if we can tell the story of the people who live here um, to people in a way that people locally recognize so they see themselves in that narrative, um, but also export that um, and convey that sense of deep relationships and um, and vibrancy to the rest of the world and to the rest of the country, then um, we have taken something, we have taken these relationships and, and honored them, I think. I think that's very that's very well put, and it uh, it actually leads me to my next my next question, and and that is uh, all kidding aside, you are an amazing leader. Uh, clearly, uh, the all of the work that you you've been doing doesn't happen uh, just serendipitously it does take great leadership so uh and we sort of joked uh half joked about your uh, background as a curator uh you know i started my career too as a as a curator so i i i certainly understand and and respect that but what is your uh how would you characterize your leadership style uh i think i am i don't lead with um I don't lead the charge with my voice. Uh, I think that my greatest value is in uh, thinking big, uh, understanding that we can often be the victims of thinking provincially, thinking that Alaska is is unconnected, that um, thinking that things can't change, that we've found some successful formula, therefore our job is only to sustain it is uh, is not my way of thinking, that we have to stay dynamic, we have to change, um, and that I'm a facilitator and um, that my job is to create conversation. And the more that people are talking, the more we're changing community, the more we're empowering a voice. I believe in turning the museum inside out. I um, believe that the idea of a museum as a passive place, as a place that expects people to come to it, is, um, is dated. Um, it's dangerous. I think we have to put the museum on the outside of the building. We have to think about our global community. We have to be connected. Um, and so I get incredibly excited. Um, we may talk about Polar Lab during this program, but that was, I think that program embodies my leadership philosophy, which is um, don't be self-limiting. Um, think about active, not passive think about connections, build relationships, um, and with that, good things will come, and that those things don't always have to be defined from the beginning, that creative processes, that um, big thinking, that uh, vision is iterative, and it's not held by one person, it's made stronger by many, and... um, So I think through collaborative thinking, through innovative processes, through um, the sharing of ideas, um, I can help shape where we go, but um, I don't want to do that in a singular sense. And so with staff, with the board, um, with our local community, but with our broader international community, um, 
it's about, again, and it sounds so simplistic, but building relationships, having conversations, getting out of Alaska and going to other places, um, inviting people in, inviting people behind the scenes, um, takes a patience in a way, um, because you know that you're always building something. But if I'm not building something, I'm incredibly impatient. Um, I know that change is important. It's always important. It's continually important to reevaluate. It's um, more and more important to talk about relevance and what do we mean. And I think when we use a lens that's always looking back, and museums are good at looking back and telling histories, and that's important, and that's how we get our authoritative voice. But um, if we don't respond to contemporary culture, if we don't respond to contemporary issues, if we don't position ourselves as a forum for dialogue, then um, we become irrelevant incredibly quickly, like most content deliverers. And um, and I feel an increased pressure because of where we are, not just because of the urgency presented by the environment, but also the urgency presented by... Um, our perceived disconnect, geographical disconnect, that um, it's up to us to reframe the conversation, reframe the brand, reframe um, the perceptions of the North. And so for us, it's not just how do you distinguish our museum from another museum in the city like it is in many places, but how do we distinguish a museum in the North as an incredibly vibrant, active, dynamic, compelling place? And I think that's the most incredible challenge I could have been handed in a lifetime. So um, I, I love the idea that my job is to storytell and to create compelling narratives. Well, and Julie, it really shows uh, your uh, your leadership uh, uh, through all of these uh, these wonderful projects. In uh, the couple of minutes we have left, let's let's talk a little bit about the uh, the Polar Lab project because I think that's another great uh, signature project that you have. Sure. So Polar Lab grew out of the museum's Northern Initiative, which really was all about let's turn our what was perceived to be a disadvantage, we saw ourselves as an extension of the United States and off to the side like you see us stuck to the side on most maps of the United States. Um, and instead say, that's our advantage. There's incredible curiosity in the North right now. There's an amazing research and an influx of people interested in the Arctic and this place. And again, the idea that Alaska is pivotal and the North is pivotal to understanding um, global change. And, um, and then to say, we know that Alaska is not distinct in the North and having these issues and that we are connected through indigenous populations and, um, energy challenges and development challenges and sustainability ideas through to other northern places. And so we said, we're an international museum of the north. We are not um, stuck to the side of the United States. And Polar Lab looks at the contemporary Arctic um, and recognizes the um, the compelling nature of that um, right now in the face of climate and other global change, um, but also looks to establishing relationships with other northern institutions um, in Canada and Denmark and Finland and uh, Greenland and Iceland. Um, we know that we're part of that international community and um, 
that's a much more interesting conversation to have, to think of um, Alaska as a place that's connected at the top, that if we draw a circle around the top of the world, we're part of that circle. Um, and so we've um, established uh, collaborations with museums in Russia and um, inside the Arctic Circle of Finland and Norway and Polar Lab um, is contemporary art driven so we bring artists in from Alaska but all around the world um, and we say we're going to work with you for one to three years because what we don't want are simplistic polarizing statements about the north there are plenty of those out there already and instead we want to embed you in the Arctic so we um, create experiences where um, they go to the Arctic for one, two, three weeks at a time, but repeatedly. And, um, and we say, come to the Arctic for the first time and just listen. And we're going to introduce you to conversations. And don't make a statement yet. Don't tell us what our research, your research question is yet. But we're going to connect you with scientists and indigenous leaders and policymakers and residents and artists and designers who think about this place all of the time. And then go and let it soak in. Go home. Don't talk to us for <laughs> three weeks or more. And just take it in because we already know what the next... Uh, question will be, and that's when can I come back? Oh, that's, that's wonderful, Julie. Uh, that sounds very exciting, and I hate to cut you off, that's but okay. we have we have run out of time today. As I said, I could listen to you all day. This is so inspirational, and I know it will be inspirational to all of our listeners. Again, Julie, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you very much. And we will be back next week with another uh, segment of Museum Life. Uh, I hope you listen in. And uh, in the meantime, remember, you can always catch all of our past shows on podcasts. Uh, This is Carol Bossert for Museum Life. Thank you so much. Thank you for tuning in this week to Museum Life. Please join your host, Carol Bossert, again next Friday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. What museum issue is on your mind? Tell Carol at carol.bossert at verizon.net. (laughs) 